What's going on, everybody? This is Whiskey Web and Whatnot. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> With your hosts, Robbie Wagner and Charles William Carpenter III. Third, third, third. Today, we are just going to jump right into the whiskey. I don't know what I usually say before the whiskey, after the intro and before the whiskey. Well, when it's just us, there's not much to it, right? I mean, yeah. we've introduced ourselves and, you know, at the end of the day, nobody really cares. So we have no guest for you today. Sorry, but we are going to try an interesting whiskey and talk a, bun- a little bit about some basic things and then about ourselves a little bit as well. Also basic, depends on who you ask. Anyway. <laughs> I do like pumpkin spice lattes. Is that basic? (laughs) And everything else, pumpkin spice. Plus your (laughs) Uggs are ugly. (laughs) Today we're having a selection from the Orphan Barrel Whiskey Company. It is the Muckety Muck, which is just fun to say. Muckety Muck. Yep, Muckety Muck. Uh, Apparently they've had a few of these. This is the 26-year expression, which I am excited about. I don't know... I don't know if I've had, I think 25 is the oldest whiskey I've ever had. I think this is the oldest, yeah, we've had on the podcast for sure. Yeah, it's uh, 92 proof, obviously a scotch, it's going to be single grain, single malt, and it is from Scotland's Port Dundas Distillery. Robbie was just mentioning. Dundas. 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 Get me a jammy sandwich. <laughs> so, yeah, you were saying you like the story of this company. I don't know, why don't you talk a little about the story? Yeah, so I had... Uh, I think they're like, I forget the name now. It was like Fable something. They have a bunch of different names. Like as they, the thing they do is they go to like distilleries that are maybe not open anymore, or maybe they are, but they like kind of abandoned a line of whiskey or something. And they like acquire these barrels and they'll like revitalize them. So they'll do a very, um, very, very limited release. Sometimes they keep a few of them and age them even longer. So like with the rhetoric that we'll do at some point, once you can get those, there's like a 21, a 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Like they just do like every year so that you can see the differences in like another year in the barrel would make, which there's got to be diminishing returns, but we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. From 20 to 25 (laughs) years seems like pretty serious. That's the rhetoric, right? So is that Mm -hmm. a bourbon? I believe so. Mm. It was uh, the one that was in that article that was like things that are cheaper than Pappy, but even better. Yeah. So I'm guessing it's bourbon, but. Yeah, it makes sense. Pappy's a weeded bourbon, so it's at least got to be bourbon. Yeah, I don't know. I'm skeptical personally, and because I just don't really care for bourbons that are over like 15 years or so. It tends to start to get really woody and mm. like a little... Like needles on my tongue or something. I don't know. It's weird. It doesn't work for me. But anyway, let's hope this one, this scotch is good. Yeah. Old scotch is good, I think. So it's got a lot of color. It smells better than any scotch I've ever smelled. Yeah. It has a sweetness, actually. Yeah. Hmm. It's the color of, like, honey, actually, too, which is interesting. It smells a little bit like, you remember the old, like, Sobe drinks that were in, like, glass bottles? Yeah, yeah, I kind of remember those. It smells like one of those. I want to say like a dragon fruit one or something. A little bit like that. Yeah, like I was going to say something like kind of like a green tea with honey or something. Oh, it smells like to me. All right, I'm going to taste yes, it. Yes, a little bit of that too. Hmm, it does taste scotchy though. Very smoky. Really? 
Yeah, yeah, I definitely get the smoke. It's on more on the finish for me though. Yeah, it's really light at first, and it starts to come up later. Definitely no honey in the flavor. Mm, rich mahogany. It tastes like um something toasted, like some toasted bread or. Mm, okay, I was gonna say uh, maybe something more like a little bit of like a cigar kind of. Oh, a little of that, yeah. Yeah, so maybe like that sort of toasted leaf, like cigar kind of bit to it. Yeah, a little, little smoke. That's influencing the smoke for me, so I'm now too. It's kind of like you put some food in a smoker, but you didn't go overboard. Like you just did a subtle, subtle smoky. Like sometimes a scotch will be a huge campfire or like all peat or... Yeah. This one I think is very balanced and nothing is too overpowering. Hmm. You know what I'm kind of getting? Like, and I wonder if this, um, a little bit in the beginning, it's kind of like a, you ever like pick a honeysuckle, like flower and Mm -hmm. eat some of that. Yeah. Get a little of that in the beginning. Yeah. But then the smoke gets serious and the toasty. Yeah. I think this is probably the fruitiest, sweetest scotch that I've ever had. Hmm. I'm guessing the extra smokiness just goes away after 26 years i don't know uh it goes back into the barrel from winston came mm. yeah i wonder where they even derive that smoky flavor there's a single malt i can't call it scotch because it's made here in uh in arizona it's actually in tucson and they mesquite toast the malt hmm. and so you get like because mesquite is a, a indigenous tree to uh the desert and particularly in the tucson area and so yeah they'll get that and they'll smoke the malt with it mm. and it's a very interesting flavor so anyway i was kind of after that i was like oh, where do they get the smoky flavor from in scotches with that i don't know peak kind of makes sense to me but smoke you know because it, and it's regional right so you get peaty mossy kind of stuff in i want to say islay i don't know I, yeah yeah i don't know how you pronounce that islay islay isla islay I'm sure it's probably not this one. Isla Y. Isla Y. Yes. Highland, Lowland, Isla Y, and another place because I'm not a scotch connoisseur, so I don't know. Anyway, all right. So in scotches, I feel like I know where this is going to go. But uh, what do you think on the tentacle stale scale? Not stale. They're they're fresh tentacles. <laughs> one to eight in the scotch range. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go bold, and I'm gonna say this is an eight for scotches. <laughs> No other scotch for you ever. Yeah, that's interesting. Of the scotches I've had, yes, this is the one I would drink. Yeah, this is the one. This is pretty interesting, but I had a 25-year-old Macallan once, too, that was pretty good. And I'm going to say it's like, this is good and interesting. I feel like that might have been better. So I'm going to give it a solid seven, seven and a half, if you're like, you know, trying to up it. So this is pretty good, though. Yeah. I'd come back. I'd suggest it to scotch people people who enjoy scotch not just people from scotland though yeah let me clarify there yeah so yeah i'm gonna go with that with it i think uh i like that it's got a little heat to it though a a lot of times Mm -hmm. scotches can be like strong flavor but no like burn or feel of alcohol you know i'm having a hard alcohol i need to know it right let me know so yeah all right so there you go muckety muck if you see it you like it trust us and I'm not giving you a refund if you don't. Yeah. You probably won't see it. Yeah. It's very rare and it's expensive. And like, I doubt it just shows up at like a liquor store. So you'd have to be going to 
some kind of fancy whiskey store or something. Yeah, or Total Wine or something. It was on uh, online at Total Wine. I saw that. Oh, was it? Yeah, I think it's two eighty there here. But like, do they have it? Like, you can actually get it, or I think so. I think they did. Huh. Okay. Not as rare as I alluded to. Sorry. <laughs> so check your local Total Wine or online at DeWineSpot.com. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Sponsored by DeWine Spot. Mm-hmm. Not yet, but hopefully one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm in the Prime Barrel Discord, so I should say, hey, listen to this podcast. We mention you for a second. Can I have a T-shirt? No. Yeah. Forty bucks. I think they for the many thousands of dollars we have given them over our course of knowing them, they probably give us a T-shirt. All right. Well, there you go. I don't even care about logo T-shirts that much, but I just love like negotiating something for free. Oh, yeah. The last two cars I bought, I've asked, okay, can you throw in a free t-shirt? And they do. They don't care. Yeah. It's not about the monetary value. It's about like, oh, I got something I wasn't like maybe supposed to get. Yeah. Like, nice. (laughs) Exactly. Just anything that doesn't come, you know, there's no welcome kit that they give to people when they buy a car. So I was like, well, I'm going to create my own welcome kit. Nice. Anyway. I guess I'm partially lying, but I'll get into that in some uh, <laughs> whatnot. We won't get into it here. We should talk about some kind of technical things. Technical things? That sounds out of my depth. <laughs> it probably is <laughs> out there in Virginia. You guys, technical for you is starting the tractor. But, um, okay, before that goes too far. and Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I'm going to jump ahead to the views of Chuck are not the views of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm from Kentucky. I am allowed to make fun of myself and my own. So it's fine. Yeah. So let's jump ahead to your topic first, because I feel like it's going to be a short one. (laughs) It will definitely be short. CSS trigonometric. Trigonometric functions. Trigonometry. I'm not really sure what the official title is. I like trigonometric and it was like, Oh, okay. Those things like sine, cosine and other borrowers. Oh wait, no, not that cosine. <laughs> so yes. Boom. Basically some additional math functions within CSS. Yeah. Which is fine. If you want to do some fancy stuff and not have JavaScript involved, I'm, I'm guessing it's for, I don't know, animation? Like, there's no way, yeah. you know, within a kind of quasi-static site, but being able to add some fancy dippity-doppity. The one thing I saw on, like, the post on Twitter was laying out, like, this was an arbitrary example because you probably wouldn't want to do it, but putting images on, like, a wave. So if you wanted to display, say, 50 images and you wanted it to, like, look like a wave going up and down, you'd like throw it in your sign function and say, that's the placement for these things. So then some of them would go down, some of them would go up, you know, instead of being like, put it at absolute position, 10 pixels, you'd be like, put it at absolute position, sign, whatever. And then it'd be like, <laughs> anyway, I think the main thing it will be used for is fancy animations of like, instead of, ease in out or whatever you could say like sine or cosine of whatever and get slightly different variations of like wave in and out type of transitions and maybe there'll be some things for calculating angles and trajectories or something of different things i forget all the trigonometry things but so do you think that there is a performance benefit to doing this in css versus manipulating those things with javascript my 
guess would be your benefit is the parse time of the JavaScript. So it's like they're probably roughly equivalent because those things are built into like JavaScript too, right? Like most of that is in math dot whatever. Mm. So I think they would be fairly similar, but yeah, you wouldn't have to have that parse time as much. I think like for whatever reason, JavaScript parse time takes longer than like CSS and HTML from what I understand. Yeah. I guess it reduces like context uh, switch as well. If you're saying I have this static site, I'm doing these things with animations within the site, not really adding any JavaScript. I'm already working in this really deep CSS file or file structure or whatever else. And I want to do some of these things. So I don't need to like create classes that make it look one way in one state, one way in another state, and then hop over to another language and then come back and sort of like, instead I can fluidly write these things all together. I suppose that's a benefit developer experience. That's a hot thing right now. DX. Yeah. I think to really understand what these things are going to be used for, we need some basic examples, like some code pens or something of where someone has done something cool. And we need to see what they do in Tailwind because Tailwind will definitely make this into utilities and be like, use this for this. And then I'll be like, okay, that's the thing mm-hmm. it's supposed to be used for. Right, right. <laughs> Interesting. I just got whiskey all over my hand. Oh my gosh, you're cut off, sir. Just don't spill it on the board. I don't have a board anymore. Oh, it's all software? It's like an amp, I guess. But there's no like sliders and stuff, so the... The board part, like you see on your board, is in it's software for me. Mm. So it's just like a bunch of inputs for me. Oh, gotcha. That's less fun. It looks cool on my desk when, you know, I have like... Also, speaking of, on my desk, one note there. I finally set up a vertical monitor as a second monitor. I'm Ooh, pretty excited about that. It's been like a long time that I've wanted to do that. How much YAML can you fit on it? A lot, actually. And the text is actually really big by default, so it's pretty great. Nice. You pull it over from a 6K monitor to the 4K monitor, and all of a sudden, things explode. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, this is a little crazy. Yeah, I remember uh, when they would, like, before I was a Mac user, and they would, like, put out new Windows versions, or you'd get, like, a new graphics card or something, and you would like install some drivers and all your icons would become like really, really tiny all of a sudden. And you're like, Oh my God, no, I can't read anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah. But then they got smart at some point and they were like, is this okay? Click yes. Otherwise revert the change in 10 seconds or something. And it counts down. So that was clever. Yeah. At least I can remember that. I'm like, Oof. Yeah. I remember times when uh, I would do that and then like it would be the wrong setting to where like half the screen was gone. So I needed it to revert or I would never be able to click anything again. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Things like disappear into mysterious whatever place. And you're like, how do I get that? I can't force quit this. <laughs> you restart and it brings up all your apps from the last session anyway. And so you're just still stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Then you just throw it in the trash and buy a Mac and you're done. Turns out that worked out. Okay. Unless it's an iMac, then you toss it on a chair behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so okay so this iMac like my iPhone would do 10 times better than that iMac and I don't understand how because I don't think it was that old maybe it was maybe it was like 2016 which I guess is getting pretty old now yeah it seems kind of old I can't even believe you could buy that still 
maybe it was 2018. I don't know. Three to five years old, let's say. Mm -hmm. But still, if literally all I want it to do is boot up and show me a Chrome browser and like use it for podcasting, you would think that there's so little other stuff running on it that it would be sufficient, even if it was just like an old processor and whatever. But yeah, no, it doesn't work. Hmm. Yeah, it's strange. It's almost like it's broken. It might be because yeah. it was refurbished too. I was trying to be frugal. And then when that didn't work, I'd spent many thousands of dollars on a real computer. <laughs> and it, it's appropriate. It's a studio. Yeah. So, yeah. So now you're in the studio with a studio. With a studio display and a Mac studio. Yeah. In the studio. Yeah. You've, you've bought in 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, one time you decided to be frugal and here it goes. Teaching you never to be frugal. You get what you pay for. Never be frugal. You get what you pay for. So speaking of paying for things, or at least companies trying to get you to pay for things all the time, let's talk a little about testing. Yeah. Which is like a large umbrella and I'll narrow it down maybe. And then maybe we'll go beyond that or whatever. But uh, just because I have recent experience, lots of past experience setting up Cypress and using that to do integration testing or end-to-end testing in an application. Believe a lot in that just because I think you fire up the real thing and you have it simulate things that the user would do. I guess it's not really simulation. It's really clicking through mm-hmm. and it's testing the aspects of your application in a real-world setting across browsers. Yay, everybody wins. Seems pretty great. So it's been a little bit, though, considering the last client I was working with didn't prioritize testing for a little while and then eventually utilized Playwright. It was kind of unfamiliar to me and just didn't really fall into my purview to work on that. So I was like, I don't know. I don't need to learn another testing thing. Next time I need a tool, I'll reach for Cypress. Did reach for Cypress again in a Next.js application utilizing Prisma. So no like GraphQL or any weird stuff like that. Using the API routes just to do uh, fetches right to the database. All fine and dandy. Have done that before also. But there's some weird stuff around. So you want to develop a little more in a black box. You want CI to have less things as fail points. So the thing that Prisma used to do, and I guess this isn't Cypress's fault, but one thing was I thought was kind of a problem is Prisma used to allow you to swap out the kind of like the provider for the database. So it's like this project has MySQL, but I just want to do an SQL light, have a small local database on the fly, seed that, whatever else. They don't let you do that dynamically anymore. So then you have to create a whole second schema, maintain two schemas, Cypress is starting to run like a dog for a little bit. So there was a little bit of trudging over and changing some like configuration stuff in their their newest iteration or release. And then I was having problems just logging in. I was like, oh, I'm going to write a simple login test. This is usually a good just entryway. You always have to be logged mm-hmm. in. So for a couple of reasons, I got very frustrated there. Um, it just essentially was not logging in. It kept like throwing me back as if the login had failed it's hard to debug from their runner, their graphical runner a little bit if you need to get underneath because of the iframe situation. There's like Electron app and I'm booting up this thing in an iframe. Just got real frustrated there. So decided let's try Playwright, ran through their CLI setup. It does a lot of magic stuff for you, including you can add a, a GitHub action that just works. 
that's nice. Mm. It's pretty fast to run the same test. Is Playwright by Microsoft? It is. It's another Microsoft thing. So that makes sense that it's easy to GitHub Actions. Exactly. So yeah, I'm sure that that's all on purpose. And then when it fires up browsers in a head, like it runs headless natively, but then if you say I need to debug fires up the regular browsers and brings up this thing called the inspector. So it's the playwright inspector. And it's cool because it's basically just like your dev tools. And as if you're putting breakpoints in your test, but it just automatically just lets you step through each area of the test, you have a regular browser. So you have all your familiar tools there to look at like network tabs and stuff like that. And like, look at the state of your application through each step, just like you can in Cypress, but with simpler tools that you're very familiar with. So I got to say, I was pretty pleased with that. It was a fast setup. It was pretty quick to write, you know, the basic test. I ran into some similar issues around login and found out that there's some magic that next auth needs to do before it's able to actually validate and create a new session. So learn that lesson too. Now the only thing I was kind of stuck on is Prisma and how I'm going to deal with like, since API routes end up doing things, uh, sending requests in web workers, service workers, whatever, to the database, then I'm like, oh, I can't just use your basic like intercept library to grab that and send back mock data. But uh, we were talking a little bit earlier, and uh, maybe the magic is mock service worker. I don't know. Could be. Hadn't considered that yet. Yes. So I haven't tried that yet. So anybody who's going to tell me, try this. <laughs> well, I thought of it. Yeah. I've been having a lot of issues. Um, I would mentioned this to you before we were recording, too, that like Cypress used to be kind of really, really easy to use, in my opinion. It just made sense. It was like easy to spin up. It was kind of a click play, do the stuff. And now it doesn't quite do that as much. And when you need to debug it, it used to be like, oh, um, I knew there were some weird things around like async stuff. Because if you try to like do async await or something, it doesn't work because you have to do like a Cypress git instead of like a document.query selector or whatever because of all the magic it does. But the docs would help me with that. And I would like be able to find all the examples and whatever. And now like their site basically doesn't even show docs. Like it's like, would you like to pay us money and log in? And then maybe we'll show you docs. Like I'm exaggerating a bit because there, there are docs like eventually, (laughs) but like they're heavily promoting, like don't make it an easy go to Cypress dot. Is it dot IO? I forget whatever. That sounds right. And then be like, Oh look, here's the docs. It's like, hi, I'm Cypress and we're a company and we would like you to give us money. And oh yeah, we made a testing tool as well. Uh, I guess the docs are somewhere. So <laughs> I had a lot of trouble because like we use it for a uh, shepherd and we'll occasionally like hit a major upgrade and it will fail. And then I'll have to go digging for why. And like the latest time I had to do that, the docs were just of no help to me because I couldn't find like the things like I used to be able to find. Interesting. You haven't hit up the docs for a little while. Essentially, the way I set up this time was just look at a previous project, bring over some configuration stuff, install and start firing up things. And then it was like, well, this stuff is old. You need to migrate to the new configuration and whatever else. Yeah, it was a little less intuitive. I'm glad that they helped migrate instead of just saying all your shit's broken, figure it out. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I did uh, find that a little bit frustrating and then having to to change a few things to upgrade. So, yeah, it's strange that there wouldn't be more exposed documentation, but I guess part of what you're paying for is support. I don't really know what you get if you I guess you get better reports and logging, too, if I recall correctly. If you go on a play, so. yeah, you end up getting like a lot smarter of those things and. I don't know. I mean, I guess, right, they're a business. They're yeah. trying to find ways to lock you in and incentivize you, but they also should just teach you how the tool works instead. But. I think also if they, like, didn't change anything and kept everything very easy to access and just kind of were like, hey, you visited this page five times now. That must mean you're using Cypress a lot. Would you like to maybe sponsor us on GitHub or something? Mm. I think I would. Okay. I guess it's not as, you know, bulletproof of a business model, but it feels heavy handed to me to make it like this thing that we got everyone using is now still kind of free, but like we're going to give all these hoops for like trying to use it. It's just, it's like a rug pull. It's like, oh yeah, we got you uh, all invested and then nope. So I'm not a big fan. Mm, interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, to one degree, I can understand, like, they t- I'm sure they took investment and have to have a profitable business at some point. Yeah. But, yeah, when, when you get, I mean, I'm sure they have plenty of businesses and enterprise level clients who got really deep and then, you know, to keep going, they got to pay a bill now. So that's an interesting bit. And I don't know if I see the value add hundred percent, but I guess I haven't used it at that kind of scale. So perhaps there are reasons why others would be incentivized, but the other, your developers who are evangelizing the tool, using the tool. I mean, I guess we're in a special place as consultants where we're like, yeah, we evangelize this tool for as long as it works for us. But if you start making things harder, we're not trying to also sell your tool and right force people into that tool. It looks like some of the things they do in the upgraded from free plans are around flake detection. Mm. So flaky tests, detection, Jira integrations, and you get email support. Don't they have like a dashboard or something like where you can opt in to make it kind of a SaaS product and like upload your snapshots or something? I think that you add a, and I did do this one time. So I think you like add a key and like basically and maybe like say it's GitHub Actions and there's like a package that will connect to their cloud product and then it will share some resourcing there and then give you reports back. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's part of what you get. So it's not a bad offering. I don't know. It just, it felt like it was so easy to use before and just like I was frustrated. I forget is it our uh, was it our website that we used Playwright on the Astro rewrite? Mm. Maybe <laughs> because I like I wanted to use yeah I think it was because you wrote the testing docs and like mentioned Playwright I think some in there for that but anyway I had tried to use Cypress and just like gave up because it took me more than an hour to figure out and I was just like that's not worth my time so. Yeah, I just used Playwright, which had its own issues of like, I didn't use the inspector. So I was like, this is impossible to debug. Mm. How do I know? And it's like, I was talking to Nick about it and he was like, 
oh, well, you don't need to debug it because you just tell it to click a thing that exists and it'll click it. Like, I'm like, well, what if I don't know if, what the thing is at the time? Like, I want to be able to pause right there and be like, what's the thing? You know, like, what's its current selector or does it exist or not exist for some reason? But it sounds like you can do that with the inspector. Yes, exactly. So you can, and it's in a little bit more native environment. So that is nice. Yeah, I just confirmed we did do use Playwright on our rewrite, our Astro rewrite. But you mostly did that setup and everything there. So I kind of forgot, even though I wrote the docs <laughs> for Astro and Playwright on their site. That's right. I'm a contributor. Yeah, so those docs are trash. Yeah, apparently don't listen to me. <laughs> Clearly, I drank too much and have a <laughs> short memory. Yeah, I think that with those additional tools, like Playwright is looking like a pretty nice player in the space. They're not economically incentivized in the same ways. But, you know, not that that's a bad thing to make money. I don't want to seem like I'm bashing just for that reason or whatever else. I just right. found some challenges and found it difficult to get past them and figure out the reasons why in Cyprus. And I pivoted. And in this instance, I just found Playwright simpler to get me the answers I needed and give me the same result. Right. I don't think this necessarily means that I would rush to other projects and convert, you know, like if it ain't broke kind of thing for now. But uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Maybe they'll just push each other in some ways. Yeah. I think again, uh, yeah, I'm not against people making money. That's fine. But it's, I think maybe my frustration is that I'm a casual user. So I use it like once or twice a year yeah. versus like daily for my job. Right. So I think anyone that might use it daily, what are their pricing tiers? I don't even know. But like if it's, it was like zero seventy five three hundred. If it's like, you know, five to 10 bucks a month. Yeah. Well, see, it's more than that. So I think it jumps to like 75 pretty quickly. Hmm. Cause like, what I'm getting at is as a professional developer, if a tool is helping me every day and you say it's going to cost me 10 bucks a month. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like as long as I don't have 400 tools that I need to pay 10 bucks a month for, that's probably not that big of a deal. Like I'm fine giving some money back. I know you spent a bunch of time building this. That's fine. But it's like, if it's meant to be something you can pull off the shelf and quickly get up, running with and like easily access the docs and then the paid stuff is supposed to be added on then it the docs need to be surfaced quicker and like more easy to use right as it like it used to be like i i had no complaints about how it was like two years ago or whenever before they started making money off of it i guess mm -hmm. They got everyone locked in and then they're like, by the way, we're going to limit some stuff. I don't know. I guess the cloud product is like the big thing and support tiers is yeah. probably what you're accessing. So there's the community version and then there's like email support and beyond. It kind of reminds me of Alt Zero in that way. So it's like this as a service and support is a big part of that. And like if you're dealing with the community, you can have mixed results. I mean, that's like. It's another version of Stack Overflow that's scoped. So that's different. I mean, I guess so we do have to give kudos to them, though, for like advancing testing. Oh, yeah. In that way, like advancing integration testing and stuff like outside of Ember, you couldn't do anything like this in other frameworks. Yeah. And this was like bridge the gap there of like, I want to see my test and I want to see the steps and I want to be able to like stop at each one and be like, oh, this is happening and this is happening. And yeah, that was unheard of. It was like, oh, use Jest. And like, yeah, it 
kind of renders stuff, but not really because it's like all server side and it's similar to like the playwright model, except I guess, I don't know if there was a jest inspector or not, but it was like, there was no way to render the thing and see it. Yeah. Which is like sometimes important. Jest is its own unique beast in the sense that it was like a, a unit testing framework adapted for some component level testing and then tried to push forward beyond that. I mean, you have Selenium WebDriver, which was like the real back in the day OG one, mm-hmm. but it was, it was easy to have flaky tests with that, but it could control things in the DOM. So those elements were there. And then there was like Puppeteer for a minute, which I guess I feel like I read once that Playwright is based on Puppeteer. Yeah, I mean, by naming convention alone, I would think yes, but... Right, yeah. So, you know, it's just an enhancement in that. So I guess, you know, the game is moving forward. You get some more tools with which to write tests, view your tests, debug your tests. They're in incentivizing tests. By the way, don't use Jest. Just yeah, garbage. But do write tests. Do write tests. Because if you don't, you'll be sad. Write, vite, do write test. Vite. Yeah, but is it Vitest? Vitest. Vitest? Vitest. Mm. I don't know. You're all of a sudden German. Vitest. Vitest. Vitest and Vitest. Vitest and Gist. I actually am German. I just don't know any German. Oh, yeah. Vitesen would be one. Achtung. I don't know. Just because I remember that YouTube album. Mm. I was in Germany once. And I'm uh, schnitzel. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> which is i think pronounced beer but it's like b-i-e-r or something weird like that yeah yep yeah i like the food i grew up in a very german area so we had things like sauerbraten and schnitzel and i don't know all the stuff lots of potato pancakes oh so good mm. with applesauce you know the right way okay sour cream and applesauce i don't know who picked that but so it works magically that's interesting that that is so i knew nothing about that that's the correct way or whatever. But so my mom always made, if we had extra potatoes or grits, she would put them in like a cup, put them in the fridge and then slice it and like fry that. So it's like maybe similar to what you're saying. And we would put uh apple butter on it. Oh yeah. Which I guess is kind of similar, but yeah. Although apple butter is just Southern, just very Southern. And the fact that you had grits in your house, again, very Southern. My mom grew up in tennessee so oh yeah that makes sense yeah my mom loves apple butter it's like one of her favorite substances aside from bologna somehow fried bologna sandwiches and apple butter separately no apple butter on fried bologna sandwiches not that i've ever seen no (laughs) luckily right with mustard she does love mustard too so there's like a blend there i'm a big fan of all mustards Mm, i'm not my brother hates mustard yeah doesn't like mayonnaise or mustard i don't either i don't understand these are these are like the best condiments known to man I'll fight you. No, it's it's weird. I I hate that I don't like mayo, but I don't like it's in, you know, 90% of sauces. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you go get a like aioli of any kind. It's sometimes they're okay. Like it won't be heavily mayo-y, but a lot of times it is. And it's like Mm. mm, gross. What are you going to put on your fries in Holland? Uh, Ketchup. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess they would have. I would. I didn't even bother to find out, but. You instead have those like sardine things, those like, I think they're called herrings or something. You ever, I don't know if you, have you been to Holland? No. One of their snacks is like this little tray and you get like these little herring fish. They're like big sardines or whatever. 
and you dip it in onions and then eat the fish. Hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling like you wouldn't have this. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about I mean, I like the dip it in onions part because I love onions, but I think that just says this fish is not that good. We want to cover it up with <laughs> all of these onions. This fish is great, completely covered up, and you could put anything yeah. in that. Yeah. Anyway, you probably have that over the fries, though. Oh, and the bitchin' balls. You'd have those, too. They're like these, like, fried little mashed potato balls, and you dip them in this brown gravy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that sounds good. Yes. Yeah, we could just talk about, we should switch. We should have a food podcast. It was mostly just about eating food, less about making it. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I don't get to eat that much variety where I am because I'm not going to cook and... We live in the middle of nowhere, so. See, that's that's the problem you have. Like, uh, yeah, I like to, I do cook at least once a week, usually once a week, give or take. Sometimes I had a pizza oven, so I do pizzas on Fridays like once a month. And then usually on Sunday I'll cook something like a cassoulet. I did that once. What did I do recently? I don't know, but I'm planning out my next one. I was thinking about doing a paella, actually. I've never done that. Oh, yeah. It's a commitment. It is. Everything I choose ends up being some kind of commitment for some dumb reason. I'm always like, yeah, I want to make whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then it's four hours or so. <laughs> oh, what I made recently is just because it was after the holidays and we had a ham bone. So I did like a every year I do a, a navy bean ham bone soup. Oh, yeah. That's the stuff. Yeah, that is the stuff. That's like serious good. Like I can have a bowl or so, like a bowl and a half of that and then just not eat the rest of the day. It's crazy how filling it is. Yeah, I also like uh, doing that with, like, green beans. Mm. I just have a big pot of green beans, and it's like, then I feel like I was being healthy because I ate a vegetable, even though it's 90% ham. <laughs> I was going to say, that is the funniest thing. So when Sarah and I moved cross-country from Arizona to D.C., we stopped and had dinner at a Cracker Barrel. I mean, because you gotta. <laughs> like, it's exotic. Hash brown casserole. <laughs> I mean, fantastic. Anyway, so she loves green beans and she ordered green beans and she got them and was distraught that they were like soggy and there was bacon in there. And she was just like, what is this? Like, that's how you have green beans. What are you talking about? What is this? Somehow we hadn't really intersected this part of our relationship where like for her, green beans are just like, you know, they're blanched and uh, lightly fried with a balsamic glaze like or almondine. almondine or something like yeah. they're crunchy, basically. And I'm like, yeah, Ooh, crunchy beans. Gross. And she's like bacon beans. Gross. That are like mushy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway, I like both depending on my mood. I like both now at this point because I've, you know, because she likes them that way. I've made them in various ways where they're like skillet seared and whatever else. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, at first I was like. I grew up eating them that way at all time. My grandparents cooked very Southern. And so, you know, cooking green beans with some like pork butter or whatever in a slow cooker was a normal thing. Yeah. I missed that a little bit, actually. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just like, well, I think it's also different green beans. Like they're less quality of bean. So it's like, let's cover it up with good flavors versus like the they're different. They're both good. That or it's just like my grandparents would have this like giant tub of lard mm -hmm. for cooking yeah. and everything took that. And it was like, well, I don't know what are we going to do. We got to fry it all. We got to mix it in. You know, they'd make biscuits in the morning with that. And 
Yeah. 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 I think we uh, talked about that on a previous episode where uh, like all of my grandmother's recipes start with like, get out your jar of bacon grease and like put some of that in the pan. And I'm like, you just have enough bacon grease to do that on demand. (laughs) So fun fact, maybe I said this in the previous podcast. So sorry for those taking tally. I absolutely have a container of bacon grease stored and and use that from time to time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was your cooking oil for a lot of stuff. It's a nice, nice start. Plus I have some cast iron. I have a cast iron Dutch oven and a cast iron skillet and a good way. If it's been like, you know, some of the season gets pulled off. If you can't cook bacon in it and you have some bacon grease, you can actually just heat that up for a while and wipe it down and, Mm -hmm. and that'll help uh, reseason. So yeah, for sure. Fun fact. Tell me about your uh, sim racing journey. Well, first of all, let's preface it with this. You mentioned Windows machine and for any IRS agents who may be listening, that expense was absolutely for a Windows testing machine. Don't worry about the video or graphics card or any of those extra things. That's for Web3 project testing. Web3 project testing. Perfect. Exactly. So aside from that, a secondary potential use of said thing is sim racing. Yeah, I've been very interested in sim racing. I tried a sim racing setup at the Porsche Experience Center. Obviously, that one is bonkers, batshit crazy, probably $30,000 rig there. So that's probably not where I'm going, at least not as of now. If I get obsessed, we'll kind of see what the next five years take me. But I'm like, how do I approach this? Have something for gaming anyway, because Stadi is going away and I just can't seem to find a one for one replacement. So I'll just use the the GeForce Now setup and EA has like a subscription thing too. So, So I need a PC for gaming. It just comes down to it that like you can try to make it work on a Mac, but emulation, VMs, all those like kind of crazy hacks end up taking a bunch of your power too. So then you're just not getting the same experience. So I had to give up and go into Windows. So yeah, just like trying to look at like the base setup that I could. So a good graphics card. Ideally, eventually you can enter like four real circuits and competitions and all this kind of stuff. The Porsche Club of America has a setup through iRacing and like that would be all very cool. Again, I just want to try it and do a little more than you might on like a PlayStation or something. But like, right. although you can actually with a PlayStation use some of these, these set like these controllers and setups too. There's a, an Italian game, but it's on Steam. It's called like Assetto Corso, I think it is. Mm. And they have a wide range of cars and it's sort of like your need for speed, but like much upgraded. So I'm going to try that. I got a Logitech wheel and pedal set. I got like a little shifter too. So they're like some of these vintage cars you can drive. You can feel like, you know, you got a shifter and I got like, it's an interesting, I found a company that does like a thing. So you can buy like these crazy full rigs. Like it's this big aluminum setup and you have like a race seat in it and you have like a surround of screens and all that kind of stuff. But I don't have, I don't have space for any of that, but let's say down the line, I want to get there. I found this company that you can like, basically buy a setup for holding your your steering wheel your 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 pedals your shifter and all that and then it has this interesting thing where you can actually just use it office chair and just like has this little lip and then locks it in and so it's just like a holder for that normal monitor or what i'm going to try is in vr streaming mm-hmm. so i'll do vr streaming i'll have that set up an office chair and then like nice controllers 
And it's like kind of the best of both worlds. It has like a small footprint and gets me into it. But they'll like say down the line, oh, I'm into this. I want to like set up the whole deal. They'll let you like, there's like pieces you can buy and eventually assemble like a full on race rig. Interesting. I'm pretty excited about that. I haven't tried it yet, but definitely excited to go down that path. Yeah, I, I would be interested to play something that's like real life feeling i feel like i've always done you know the ones at arcades and stuff where they Mm -hmm. like purposefully are really difficult to drive because you're like i mean maybe it's because it's like trying to simulate you going really fast although you're not you don't seem like you're going that fast or something but it's uh yeah you know like the steering wheel will shake at you a lot and like all that crap and so it would be cool to see one that's like theoretically more like real life yeah and see how that drives yeah, because you can get, like, the wheels and, like, the wheel motor things that will give you, like, realistic feedback. And you can have tension on the pedals that's more realistic. And then people will get ones that actually kind of move around in hydraulics or whatever, too. And you get, like, a rumble and all those kind of things. Why does Porsche not just have, you can use your car? <laughs> hmm. Because you can do that in the Tesla. There's, like, a racing games and you have to like use the actual steering wheel Hmm. but i never have done it because i feel like i would look like a dumbass like because the wheels will move like it's like your wheels will actually move when you're doing this and i'm like that would look really stupid if you're watching me can't you just do it in your garage well yes i guess but the only time i play games on is like for charging or like i'm waiting for caitlin out in a parking lot somewhere or something oh that's funny that's true yeah 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 i don't know i hadn't really considered it but uh I don't know. I wouldn't care because uh, you're the one in the Tesla charger sitting next to like a whatever Chevy Volt or something (laughs) or those Mustangs. What do you think? You are a Mustang fan. What do you think of the Mach-E? I'm on the fence. I think it's nice-ish like as an EV. If you do away with the fact that it's a Mustang, it's fine. I think Ford has, I mean, really nobody but Tesla has like a good charging network. It's getting better for everyone though. And like Tesla's going to be opening theirs to everyone. So that's kind of, once you get rid of that point, I'm just always still upset that they called it a Mustang. Yeah. Because I feel like it was a cash grab at like Mustang fans. Yeah. Or to make it more hip for like younger crowds or whatever. And it's like, it's not a Mustang. If you had made an actual electric Mustang, I'd probably buy it. But you didn't. So, I mean, they will eventually because everything will be electric. But right. I think it's everyone's competing in that, like, am I an SUV? Am I a car? I don't know. I'm kind of a hatchback. And I'm an EV. The crossover space. I call it yeah. the crossover space. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of competition there. Yeah. That's what I like about mine is it's more like the, a little more like in the wagon range of things. It's not really trying to be a crossover or EV or whatever else. Although the Macan ev comes out i think this year i know they're taking orders now so Mm. that'll be a right suv yeah we saw um what's the bigger one cayenne yeah that's not an ev no i know but they have a hybrid but we saw just a normal one like on the road and caitlin was like oh that's a nice looking suv and i was like well you know if they make an ev one we could look into that but as of now no yeah they have a plug-in hybrid so not terrible yeah yeah not for you no, I mean, there's enough real EVs right now that it's just like, they may not be the exact car I want, but I'll just wait it out. Yeah. What about your Rivian window? What's that look like? Because mine is July to September right now. Yeah, ours is like April, 
they sent me an email uh, a couple days ago that was like, you need to lock in your configuration now or something, Same. which I did not do. Oh, <laughs> womp womp. I did it. I assume they'll like tell me when I actually really need to, but. I just want to lock in my purchase price because it's $20,000 less than they're selling now. So, yeah. So we've decided we don't want the Rivian and we, uh, we may still buy it to just try to flip it. Mm -hmm. But my preference would be just to like find someone that actually wants the pre-order and like ask them what options they want and like basically just give it to them. Like, I don't really care that much. Yeah. I wonder how that works. So I've been trying to like, get my dad to like, he might want the truck. Yeah. So we could convert it to the truck and like do that. You'd probably get it sooner actually. If you switch to the truck. Yeah. Cause that's been in production. Like really well, I've started to see a ton of SUVs around here now though, which was interesting. I've seen a couple. Saw the first one about a month ago and now I've seen probably six. Hmm. So a lot of different colors too. I was like, Oh, I thought they were doing like runoffs cut by color in region, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, I saw a white one, so hmm. yeah, I don't know. We're mostly leaning towards not wanting to keep it, but flip it or, yeah, I mean, I guess give it to someone else in line. It's not a terrible, yeah, terrible thing to do. I'm not sure where you'd get connected to like your dad makes sense. I, I don't right. know anyone in my network that would want it that I know of, but I guess I can advertise that. Yeah. So tweet me at Robbie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. RW Wagner 90. If you want a, uh, a Rivian, just, yeah. Yeah. Send me a message. You might hook it up. Yeah. So I think the thing that is going to be nice is the R one X. Okay. So it's going to be like, I don't know exactly how big, but I'm, I think from what I understood more like Range Rover sport size and it's like luxury, like, they're going to upgrade all the stuff. It's going to be really fast. Like hmm. all the stuff that Tesla tries to do with like plaid mode and like whatever. So that I think could make people not want the other ones because they're like this cool one's coming out. I don't want the truck or the SUV. I want this crossover or whatever. Yeah. I haven't even heard of it. They announced it not that long ago, maybe like a couple months ago. They send me so many emails and really neglected to, maybe they're trying to not cannibalize their own sales. Yeah, maybe. Huh. They didn't send me an email about it. I saw it in like a news posting. So Whoa, that looks cool. It looks very like overland ready though, too. So Yeah. Okay. Well that's interesting. I can see where they're like it's like the next version of their adventure vehicle. Yeah. But yeah, I uh I don't know. We only have two garage bays anyway, and soon we won't have a house at all. So yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, Your house is getting repossessed. That's how bad business has gotten. I mean, the recession is tough. <laughs> That's why Robbie really needs to get rid of that Rivian because he needs something to live in. We're actually all going to live in the Bronco when it gets delivered soon. Perfect. No. <laughs> Resto mod. Yeah. No. Um. We were out of the house yesterday for the whole like pictures and 3d tour and all the stuff they do when you're listing your house and so it's going to be like coming soon i think this week i think the 12th and then like goes live the 19th like i guess there's always a thing now of coming soon first or whatever right generate interest sponsored by redfin yeah right redfin do you want 
Only 1% fees? If you buy and sell with Redfin, we'll reduce your fees to only 1% from the buy side. Or from the sell side, I guess. I don't I always get it confused. Yeah, that's kind of nice, actually. Yeah, so we've used the same Redfin agent every time we've sold our house. So that's four times now <laughs> with the same guy. Yeah, saving money can't hurt. Yeah, like we should get a repeat discount at some point, right? Like bulk pricing, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. The sponsorship should cover most of that, I think. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, we're uh, we're not sure where we're going to go. Or like, we don't know if it's going to sell soon. So we're like, we don't want to try to find something right now. Right. In case it takes six months to sell or whatever. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of things that could possibly happen. We're like looking at renting in Alexandria, maybe. Mm-hmm. Stay there like a year or two. And then like Great Falls is the eventual destination right so we'll either find something to buy there that we think we really love and could refinance or we'll rent in alexandria or we've started throwing out just whatever because it's like well if we're renting why not chicago or like wherever right so because it's fucking cold have you been to chicago yes where are you gonna live in the winter yeah but I see what you mean. You've got options. Like you could yeah. go rent somewhere for a while and, and come back. Although, isn't it like one year you have to take any profits from a sale and put it into other real estate? Otherwise, it's... It's capital gains. Yeah, capital gains. So Yes. So that's one downside. I don't know. I ignore all of that because I just assume that I'm going to owe a ton of tax regardless, as we know from... <laughs> You're a patriot. Running a business. That's why. Yeah, I don't know if we've complained about this on on the air before, but I just hate that everyone that's like a billionaire pays zero tax and I can't get out of that and have to pay tons of tax. Just sucks. Right? Like, what is the line? Where is the line where you start getting to where, like, how much do you make where you're like, I can actually get out of tax now? Like, where is that line? I don't know where it is. It's not upper middle class for sure. No. Nope. Well, I don't know. Your dad has done well. Has he ever hit the line where he can like reduce or not pay taxes? No. So not good either there. So it's like, where is it? You just have to be like multimillionaire, billionaire status. And then all of a sudden you're free of burden. Corporations also. I think it's like 10 million plus in the bank account. Mm. Not like investments and property like cash, 10 million in the bank. I think gets you the fancy lawyers that are like, ooh, I like that. Uh, let's get you out of tax and you can give us all the money. Yeah, let's uh, 40 shell companies and there we go. Because well, from what I understand is if you just put it into the economy, it trickles down yeah. to everyone else. So it's totally fine. Yeah, if I spend money on a Bronco, everyone that's working minimum wage jobs gets a cut of that, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. I mean, because then you're buying gas and... We've seen that uh, that doesn't make anyone rich, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the money from gas goes right to the working American, mm-hmm. not overseas at all. Yeah, exactly. There are definitely no nation states that are in investing uh, in real estate, in athletic teams, in tech. Like, no, definitely not. Fun fact, I did see that uh, the entire car market was down whatever percent, like 10%, let's say. Okay. But Rolls-Royce was up 6%, and they have sold like 6,000-something in the past year or something, which sounds low, but when each one average cost is like 520000 right? it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that they continue to sell so many, too, because like 
I don't know if this is still the thing, honestly. I knew one person in life ever who owned a Rolls Royce, and this was like in high school, a dad who had one and he'd had it for like 25 years. So he obviously didn't pay 500,000, but he had like a seventies one and the rear end went out and Rolls Royce flew out a technician, shipped the part there and on site changed his rear end because it had a lifetime warranty. Wow. The life of the original purchaser, your car was guaranteed to work. How it is. Is that why they're so expensive? It turns out I don't browse the Rolls Royce site very much. (laughs) You don't. Even if I had the money for a car like that, you know me. This is not the direction I'm going to go. I'm not like all about bougie. Oh, yeah. My dream car is a 918 Spider. Like, I want one of those. That would be the whole, I made it and pay no taxes, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a hybrid. It's fucking awesome. Like, there's nothing wrong with that car. Everything about the car is wonderful and perfect to me. So, anyway... I'm not going to buy a Rolls Royce. I did work for a company whose owners had quite a bit of money and they had multiple cars and they had a Rolls Royce and a driver that would bring them to work in that Rolls Royce when they brought that car. Of course, if they brought other cars, there were various options. But yeah, they had a driver and then like on site. He was a former Ferrari mechanic, retired and would drive for them and then like do some stuff to like keep their cars good. Yeah, that would be my like I made it moment is like i have a rolls royce and a driver yeah yeah i have this car and i've never driven it myself that really says something i think yeah so well my recommendation is that you start a multi-level marketing company Hmm. that's the only hint i can give you we'll start a new llc and it will be uh ship shape supplements or something ship shape coin ship shape coin yeah <laughs> the problem is is that all of those people lots of them other than the endorsers have these pseudonyms on the internet right they're like mm-hmm. i'm that's true harry ape and harry ape disappeared oh no shit he disappeared with 3 million dollars millions know? of dollars yeah yeah yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll start being uh, less public about who we are and get mm-hmm. some some fake names and get that going. It's too late, Robbie. We are so famous now that uh, I don't. That's true. I don't know where we could go. Millions of listeners, they'll find us. I don't know where I can go. Like, <laughs> as long as I don't talk, I'll probably get away with it, right? Because people don't really know our faces, but our voices. Yeah. Worldwide. Yeah. You walk into like a Waffle House and say. Like, hey, can I get the all-star combo? And they're like, is that Charles William Carpenter? The <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the uh, Swedish passport breakfast, I think, is what I used to get. Mm. Oh, man, it's been a while since I've been doing IHOP. Lingonberries. I mean, between Ikea mm. and IHOP, I just can't get enough. <laughs> We've gone off the rails and we're over time. So let's, uh, let's end it here. If you liked it, please subscribe, leave us some ratings and reviews. We really appreciate it. Hit that five stars and it will really help us out. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io. 